Welcome to the Animal Rescue Podcast, what you always wanted to know but didn't know who to ask. I'm your host, Keisha Farrand. This week, my guest is Marnie Russ of Kitten College. Marnie and I discuss how she got started with kittens, what Kitten College is, and the impact it has made. We also chat about their goals for the future and how you can get involved. You can learn more about Kitten College at www.awla.org or on Instagram at AWLA Arlington and Facebook at Animal Welfare League of Arlington. They love to share their resources, so please reach out with any questions. Marnie, thank you so much for joining me on the Animal Rescue Podcast. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yes. Now, you work with the Animal Welfare League of Arlington, correct? Correct. In Arlington, Virginia. Yes. And so you founded and currently still lead what is called the Kitten College. That's right. Yeah. It's a kitten program, um, basically like you would find in any other um, kitten program at any shelter or rescue with just a few little minor tweaks. Okay. So let's back up a little. What got you interested in working with cats and kittens? Well, like any little child, (laughs) I was obsessed with kittens when I was little and I wanted all of them. And my parents wouldn't let me have any of them because we had an old cranky cat. (laughs) And, you know, all we knew is that, you know, cats were kind of cranky and this one was particularly cranky. Um, And so after she passed away, um, you know, my sister and brother and I lobbied for a cat for a long time and we got another we got a kitten and all I wanted to do was have this kit kitten love me and and he was also kind of cranky <laughs> so um you know in theory I probably shouldn't love kittens as much as I loved them but I have just always been a huge animal fan and for some reason kittens in particular um so even given that the the ones we chose um growing up in Montana were never particularly nice I I powered through and um, and kept learning about them and, and loving them. And, and although I loved all animals, um, kittens were always of a particular interest to me. Yeah. Now, when we talked before, you had gone over a little bit about what Kitten College does. And this program, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people and there are so many people doing some really fun, interesting things, but Kitten College is like almost next level, I feel like because I've never heard of anything like this until now. Yeah, thank you. Can you explain what it is and how you even thought to do this? Yeah, so, you know, um, professionally, I was not always in animal advocacy. I was a lobbyist for 20 years and I had my own firm. um, And I was doing Montana nonprofits and living in Arlington so I could access Capitol Hill. Um, And so during that time, I lived across the street from ironically Arlington, um, the Arlington shelter. And I would spend time um, during my lunch hour time working at the the cat program and they had just started fostering you know fostering is relatively new Um, it's been around 15 years um, in our area um, maybe 20 
And so that I heard that, you know, you could do something called bottle feeding a kitten. And I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to learn everything there was about that. Um, So I volunteered myself immediately. And at the time it was very much, you know, you'd get up every two hours, you feed these kittens. And I threw myself into it um, um, with, you know, with everything I had, I, I went to vets and I, I asked them to teach me everything they knew about it, which was relatively um, little, you know, neonatal kittens don't go into, into clinics. Um, They aren't part of their, their practice because, you know, they're not owned animals usually. Um, so I uh, would go to rescues, I would get involved with TNR, um, and it was what I did on the side from my lobbying, and, you know, lobbying was a very different, it was highly professional, very lucrative, um, um, but, you know, what I did was appropriation, so it was something that was very um, seasonal, and I found in, in the downtime, I just threw myself into animal advocacy. Eventually, I pulled myself completely away from lobbying and started lobbying for the ASPCA, um, and, and then full-time kittens. Um, and I founded, uh, co-founded the National Kitten Coalition and we got a grant from um, the Animal Welfare League of Arlington to do a kitten manual. Now this manual sent us to five of the major neonatal nurseries in the country. We went to the ASPCA nursery in New York. We went to Austin Pets Alive. We went to the Best Friends Nursery in Los Angeles. We went to the San Diego Nursery. We went to the Jacksonville Nursery. Um, And then we, uh, I said San Diego. So we were, um, we spent a lot of time in these major nurseries that that handled high volume kittens. Um, And and that was really interesting because you saw these kittens that were getting incredible care. and, and, And I sat in these meetings and I thought, this is wonderful for these kittens that, you know, are in Manhattan and can go to the New York shelter. But the majority of kittens that go that are found are gonna end up in small to mid-sized municipal shelters. So we're learning a lot about how to care for these kittens in high volume shelters. What does it look like in the small to mid-sized municipal shelters where the majority of kittens in the United States are gonna end up? And so after we prepared the manual and this was in 2016 um, and it came out in 2017, I really wanted to put in practice what it would look like. And I went to Arlington and had this business plan that was really open-ended. And I said, um, you know, I, I wanna put it in practice here. And, but I don't really wanna have any boundaries. I mean, God love them because <laughs> I, I basically said, let's try it, but I don't have any idea what it's gonna look like. Yeah. Um, and they were wonderful. And, and they said, okay, we'll give you a couple months. You know, you can have the summer and let's see if you, if you can do it. At the time we were doing about 92 kittens a year. Arlington has historically done great TNR in their county. Um, and we've done a great job of really doing um, a, a high rate of, you know, we don't get kittens in organically. So we didn't really have a problem, but I knew from fostering all over in the community that neonates were euthanized at 930 every night. So with that being said, I, I convinced them to let me try. And they were great about saying, okay, we'll, we'll do it. We'll just do it for a couple months. And, um, and so we, we started it. And after that first year, 
we did, um, I think around 365 and we opened in July. So that was only half a year. So that was really good. Um, last year we did 1,547. So from that to 1,547, we were clearly addressing a need. Um, The main difference that allows us to do the amount of kittens that we did is how we structured our foster program. And this was mainly because I had fostered so many places and we wanted to build the program so that it was uh, foster focused. Um, and I was primarily a bottle feeder. When kittens got older, I, I wasn't, I mean, I liked them. It was great. Obviously I love kittens at any age, but I was really good at bottle feeding. I was able to see signs of distress and recognize it and act upon it. So when I had older kittens, uh, my best uh, abilities weren't being utilized. So we, structured the program so that fosters were put into classes. So our fosters were freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior. Um, And that's where the name Kitten College came from. It wasn't the kittens that were placed in classes, it's where the fosters were placed. Mm -hmm. So uh, a freshman foster would handle kittens that were just real easy. You know, they were healthy, they just needed some time until they were ready to be put on the surgery schedule. Um, They didn't require a real refined eye. It's great for families with kids. Um, Sophomores would do um, maybe a little bit younger, but eating on their own. Maybe they had a daily med they needed to take. Juniors would take bottle babies and seniors would take the really critical care of bottle babies. Um, And that really allowed people to specialize in the age that they wanted to and that they felt the most comfortable with. And it also helped them determine um, their own foster experience. And for us, we definitely have a foster season. Um, And a foster season means that, you know, the summer is when kittens come in and that's when we're really the hardest hit. So it was really hard to say to somebody in June, hey, can you take this kitten for eight weeks? Because that's their whole summer. But it's easy to say, hey, can you take a kitten for two weeks? We expanded our foster base so much by being able to do that. You know, we got far more fosters in. We started our program at 38 fosters. We now have over 300 fosters. That's so that, it's huge. And it allows us to save so many more kittens. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just the flexibility of being able to say, hey, can you take this for 10 days even? Yeah. You know, what we didn't anticipate, which was a huge surprise, was that the impact it would have on the socialization and the immune system of these kittens. So just being able to go from a home to a home uh, impacted their ability to handle stress and change so well that when they would come into the shelters, they became very much dog-like cats. You know, they they didn't get scared of situations. They didn't get into... Um, the stress didn't impact their immune system so that they became susceptible to infectious disease. Um, You know, so that was really great. Um, It, it enabled us to transport kittens places without them having to go into quarantine, like breaking and staying in quarantine longer. So um, that was something that, you know, we didn't know. And I knew when I put the business plan together that we didn't know where the program would go. We didn't, you know, I wasn't sure initially if, it would be an in-house program or if it would be a foster-based program. And it very much became a foster-based program um, because we were able to get so many fosters. Um, So then we really set out to go and 
um, look at where are we pulling all these kittens? Because we know the majority of them aren't coming from Arlington. So we set up satellite campuses and those campuses are areas in which we pull the most from. And so we gave them all of our resources, whatever they needed to help them keep the kittens in their community. Because we know that we're pulling from them. So if we can help them either with TNR in their community, help them develop a program, help them train fosters and they can keep them in their community, then um, we're helping us because we would have been pulling from them anyway. And that's been a great way to help um, help them because kittens obviously are the most adoptable. So that's a revenue source for them. Um, and, and, you know, to turn off the faucet because TNR is really where we, we need to put most of our efforts so that we can, you know, stop the influx of these kittens coming in. Yeah. So it's just oh. a great way for all these people to work together to address the problem. For sure. For sure. So your 300 fosters, is that Arlington and those satellite programs combined? It's just Arlington. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It really became something where we don't even market for fosters anymore. I mean, people hear from our fosters or, and also, you know, we are an urban area. So people hear about it from us and hear about it from our fosters. So, um, you know, we, uh, we also have, um, we have a lot of social media influencers that mm -hmm. are our fosters. Um, and we also make sure that our fosters know, you know, how much they mean to us and how much the program is based on their abilities. So we, we have levels of fosters. So our, we are really high, like our high functioning fosters, the ones that are essentially employees. Yeah. They, we call them our professors and they get little jackets because they are kitten college professors. Um, um, and so we do, um, we do rely on them a lot and they are, you know, a huge part of, I mean, this is not one person by any means. This is, you know, there are hundreds of people that go into this. Um, and it is a, a huge community and, um, it's just been, like one of the most amazing things to watch grow because it really hasn't been around that long. I mean, this launched in July of 2017 right. and to go from 92 kittens to, you know, 1500 plus a year, right. uh, it's huge. And that's just Arlington. So now we have all these satellite campuses and we have them all over the country. So we, I am literally traveling like once a week to, you know, like during the downtime when kit, when shelters aren't so busy with kittens, we're, we're all over the country once a week teaching shelters how to do what we do, giving them all our resources, taking from them and learning what they do and then adding it to our program. We do sessions. We teach sessions um, online all the time. Um, anybody who wants to learn more about what we do or what we can offer them, um, we're, they can reach out to us. Um, all of our stuff is available on our website. Um, they, we offer in-house apprentice programs. Um, and then we offer, we can come to them and assess their resources and, and give them all of our resources and they can take, everyone has different demographics. Um, so take what is, we're very transparent, anything that we want, that they want of ours, they're welcome to, and they can adjust it how it fits them. Um, and we find that we learn from people that, what they're doing. And then we add all of that stuff to our presentations. I mean, the idea is to build a big community so that nobody's reinventing the wheel all right. the time and using that time, you know, that, that they could be using to save kittens just to do something that's already been done by somebody. Right. Um, so it's just about building a coalition. 
Yeah. So when it comes to the fosters that you have, I mean, how much training do you put into them and how much of it is they just come with this experience already? Well, so what we do is we usually determine, you know, what they want. So if somebody hasn't bottle fed before and they really want to, we will, we usually try if we can to give them a mom and babies so they can watch, um, you know, the, the right stages of a kitten and kind of get an idea of where, you know, what is it, what are they supposed to be like at this age? What does the mom do? And they kind of get an idea of what that is. Um, and then we'll line them up with the foster mentor um, so that they can, you know, with 300 fosters, we really only have one and a half people that run the program in-house. Um, and we don't want to inundate them with like calls all the time. So we have a very active Facebook page where people can ask questions and you know, we monitor that. Uh, but they'll have a foster mentor that can, uh, you know, walk them through everything. Um, we do try and make sure that bottle babies have taken the bottle. Sometimes they'll go home with a staff member that does bottle babies for a day or two, gets them on the bottle, make sure they're stable, and then they'll go to a foster. Um, just so that, you know, we want to make sure that everybody has a very positive experience. Um, we do have fosters that are some of the best in the business with bottle babies. Um, and those ones, you know, they can, they're very prepared for, you know, we, we are dealing with a, a population that has a high mortality rate. Um, and, you know, they can obviously handle it just as, just as well, if not better than most of the staff. Um, so um, there is a lot of training. We do um, usually every two weeks, we do trainings for people around the country. Um, and so our staff, our, our fosters can always tune into that as well. Um, so yeah, there's always plenty of training opportunities. Nice. And from what I understand, so earlier you had mentioned that, you know, these fosters take these kittens for a couple of weeks at a time. Is it, they go from the senior fosters, if that's where they're needed or senior or junior. And then after those couple of weeks, then they go to sophomore. And then after a couple of weeks, they go to freshman or how does that work? Yeah. So we really let the fosters determine what they want to do. Like we, you know, it's their experience, but usually what they do is they kind of have a conveyor belt mm -hmm. um, because a lot of times and, and shelters that just start this process are, are doing it. Um, sort of on their own accord too. Like they, they, they have a hard time giving it up. Like it's, it's a new concept to a lot of people. Um, but if you have like, if, if I'm fostering and you and I are friends, then it's easier for me to give you my kittens. Cause I know where they're yeah. going. So they right. kind of have a conveyor belt where they're like, Oh, I'll be like, okay, Keisha, I'm done with these kittens. I'm going to bring them over to you. And then, so, you know, they kind of have allegiances. Sometimes they'll just put on the Facebook page saying, Hey, these kittens are done or or sometimes they'll be traveling and they'll be like, hey, I'm traveling. This is how old they are. Um, and so they know which group and they have their designations in our system of which grade that they are. Um, and so they know which, you know, when we know which kittens, the kitten will come in and they'll be like, I need to go to a junior foster or a sophomore foster. And then that's, they'll be assigned by which group they qualify for when they come in. So, but usually they'll go to at least two in their time with us. Yeah. That is just so mind blowing to me. It seems so obvious. And it's, you know, it's something that when I was fostering for the organizations around Arlington, I, I really wanted to be like, when they were, when they would get bigger, 
I, I just didn't, I, it's not that I didn't want them anymore, but I was like, you know, now I can't have any other bottle babies because right. I have to wait for these babies to go back. And it was such a waste because bottle babies are the most vulnerable. We have to have bottle baby fosters open or other bottle babies will die. Right. And so it made sense to me when I was putting the, the prospectus together that we got to keep these open and how do we do it? And a lot of it just like kind of haphazardly fell into place, all these other positives that came out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I just, I love that. How did you get so many people to say, Hey, I want to foster kittens? Well, the kittens sell themselves. So that is super lucky. Yeah. So when I first started it, um, I would take, I had a good friend who was a pharmaceutical sales rep for veterinary medicine. So I would go with her to her lunch and learns and I would bring babies with me. And, you know, vets and vet techs, they don't see neonates, but they're so intrigued by them. And so I would bring them with me and I, you know, your shelter has to be open to take risk. And, you know, with neonates, a lot of people just don't don't know that neonates are the most euthanized animals in shelters. So you're looking at these tiny, adorable kittens, knowing that, you know, they'll most likely die. I mean, that's just their fate. And so you'll bring them into a, a veterinary clinic and you'll be like, we need fosters, even if you can do it for a week. And I never, not once left with kittens, not once. <laughs> And so it was perfect because it also really created great relationships with these clinics. Yeah. Um, and if, and I would just say, you know, just a week, maybe two, you yeah. know, and they can bring them in, in and out of work and the kittens were well cared for. It created yeah. a great relationship with them. And then we still have, you know, they, it was just great. And so it was, it was just one of those random things where my friend was like, Hey, I'm going to this clinic. You want to come? And I'm, and I was like, I have babies. I'll bring them. And it just, you know, like those things yeah. just kept happening. And, yeah. you know, I would go to um, like chamber lunches and say, Hey, this is what we're doing. I would go to networking groups, um, professional networking groups and, and say to when we were, when I was building the program and say, Hey, you know, this is something we're doing in our community here in Arlington. Can you incentivize your, your, your business to have people do it and say, yeah, you can bring your, your kittens into the office if you need to, you know, just let them know what you're doing, yeah. you know? And so it just, your kittens really do sell themselves. Bottle babies are quiet. They sleep a lot. So they're yeah. not really in the way and they're good for morale. For sure. I feel like your background as a lobbyist has really lent itself well in this yeah. The networking part really did help. You're right. Yes. Yeah. Someone else said that to me just a month ago and I hadn't really thought about it, but yeah, the networking part has played a big role that I, I just, I would, I just assumed it was all kittens all the time, but it was putting it all together. Yeah. Because I mean, not only do you have to know how to care for the animals and understand how sheltering it works and all that, but you also have to be able to talk to people and be able to articulate your mission and how they can help. And I think sometimes that's where people get lost is they're so passionate about the mission that articulating it to someone who might not necessarily be as familiar with the animal welfare world, it might turn them off and they, they go, okay, you're, you're just a little too much for me. But <laughs> yeah. having the ability to just have those conversations and understand the angles that you can take to really explain things to them in a way that they get. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. saying that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. 
And going back to you bringing the kittens to the uh, vet clinics, that had to be such an amazing experience for the vet techs and even newer vets to be, I mean, I can't imagine that they would have access to neonatal kittens all the time. So to have that experience under their belt had to be amazing for them too. Yeah. You know, it is, it was so interesting because you would just assume in vet school, they teach about neonates, but they don't because you're not going to see neonates in a vet clinic. They aren't owned essentially, you know, especially the ones that come into shelters. So it was a great way to bridge that gap, you know, and shelter medicine is so very different than veterinary medicine. Um, They just, it's a totally different beast when you're looking at high volume care. Um, you know, different than patient care. So that was a really interesting uh, way to look at it. It was a totally different lens. Yeah. So not only are you building up this foster program throughout the country and educating people on this, you're also helping vets and clinics get more experience in this world too. I feel like- Well, in Arlington anyway. (laughs) Hey, you know what? Those vets and those vet techs are going to be moving somewhere across the country yeah. Well, and when I, when we travel, I tell them to go do that, to, to bring them into these clinics, because, you know, yeah. it's interesting that, that vets um, and shelters are often at odds with one another. You know, they view each other as competition. Yeah. You know, they want, you know, vets want to do the, do the surgeries and vaccines at the clinics. And if, if rescues are doing it, they're, they look at that as competition. So they yes. often don't enjoy a great relationship. So this is one way that you can bring these relationships together. And yeah. so we in Arlington are really lucky in how well we work with our clinics. Mm-hmm. That's so awesome. Well, Marnie, is there anything that I have not asked you about Kitten College that you feel like people really need to know about or um, you think would be extra helpful for them to understand as they move forward on their kitten journey? Well, you know, just that we are continuing to grow the program. We're working on a manual now. My goal has always been, you know, we've been really lucky to get to super high functioning shelters, but my goal has always been to get to, um, you know, under-resourced shelters and really help them build programs where kittens come in and have to be euthanized. And even though it sounds harsh, it is often the most humane thing to do. Um, um, We are working on a manual on the program with all of our resources um, to be just handed. Um, I'm working to try and get corporations to help pay for us to travel to people. you know, I just feel like the more we can do to make things easier, um, please reach out to us um, through our website, which is awla.org. You can go to Kitten College. My email is Marnie, or sorry, is mrus or at awla.org. Um, and, you know, we can come to you. We do have full day workshops at our shelter. We try and make everything as free as possible. Travel is often not covered. We are working on getting scholarships um, for folks. Um, but, you know, if there's anything that we can do to help make saving kittens in your area easier, we are looking for ways to do that. So please let us help you. And if you have ways that you think um, should be added to our presentation, please share them with us. Awesome. Marnie, thank you so much for your time. This has been amazing. I love learning more about Kitten College and I'm so excited to see how much more you grow in the coming years. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Keisha. I loved it. Awesome. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe. If you have ideas for future guests, please email me at theanimalrescuepodcast at gmail.com or follow me at theanimalrescuepod on Instagram.